feature presentation. Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, are you ready to talk about the Candyman? You can say his name five times. Do it. Do it. No. Do it. No. Well, say, one, I'm not say near it to the mirror. camera. Well, I uh, mean, a camera. You're seeing your face in a reflection. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say a camera is the mirror to the soul, the way uh, yeah, the eyes are. That is um, true. You know what? No, I'm not going to do that, Matt, because uh, after watching uh, Candyman, I've I've learned not to do that. Yes, today same we... way that you would with Bloody Mary. I was <laughs> that's just that's say, totally that fair. Uh, today we are reviewing Nia DaCosta's Candyman, starring Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Teona Paris, Coleman Domingo, Tony Todd, uh, the voice of Virginia Virginia Madsen. And now, are those more. spoilers, Matt? I don't think so. Why? Well. I feel that they're not mentioned in see, that's the thing having watched this movie that I right. wasn't sure what is spoilers and what's not pertaining to uh, Yahya Abdul Mateen, the second's character. I mm-hmm. mean, his character is named Anthony. They're not mm-hmm. hiding that, but at the same time, it's almost like in the film, there is a plot twist. I didn't to... mention one character that, uh, or an actress that's in the movie, but I mean, I did, I don't think I mentioned one but i mean i don't know who, like who, do, who, I, who are you talking about vanessa should... williams like but she's yeah. in the trailer yes That's the so, thing. so so i don't know the i mean i think everyone assumed that you know helen lyle would be referenced in the movie and you might like because I, I, the movie obviously is a sequel to that 1992 film so i don't think any of that is a spoiler and like what you're alluding to i think the movie does treat as a reveal but i mean i think going in I mean, I knew about what you're talking about. We haven't really spoiled it here. We are going to keep this review spoiler free. So maybe we won't go into, you know, the exact specifics or the details of that. But if you've Um, seen the first film and you know the name Anthony, mm -hmm. you probably will clue in rather Mm -hmm. quickly to what that is referencing. And the movie does a pretty good job at kind of filling you in. Because I watched this with Nevis, who did not watch the original Candyman with me earlier this week. So, and I explained everything that happened in that first movie to her and then uh the movie you know does that and we kind of laughed at that anyways eric oh what is this what is Candyman 2021 yeah so as it's been marketed um nia DaCosta's Candyman is a spiritual sequel to the 1992 bernard rose film based on clive barker's uh story the forbidden um which again, you know, the mythology and legacy of the Candyman um, was a character created in the early '90s to be in the same vein as a Freddy Krueger or a Jason Voorhees, and as it would continue on in two other films, um, one directed by Bill Condon, Farewell to the Flesh. We got more of the uh, OG Candyman played by Tony Todd's uh, backstory told in sort of a a parallel um, narrative. This time around, what I think is really fascinating um, about a script that's co-written by producer uh, Jordan Peele and and Nia DaCosta is that it is playing with the template that was already set out and established, but it's also looking at it from the perspective of gentrification. It's looking at it from the perspective of how an urban legend carries over the years and certain accuracies or inaccuracies are embellished over time 
you know, having heard it at a dinner party or hearing it in conversation, whether it be eavesdropping or, you know, throughout the years. Mm -hmm. And that's what a, an urban legend is. You know, yeah. you think of the stories of and ones that are being referenced directly, you know, kids finding razor blades in their candy or, you know, the man with the hook that goes after, you know, lovers at, at, at you know, making out yeah. or, or which essentially know, what was what Helen was doing her thesis on in the first. Movie. Yes, yes. And that is addressed almost right away after you know the 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 opening credit sequence the the prologue to the film that kind of establishes cabrini green uh this you know uh affordable uh housing location in chicago which played you know the central role in the original film uh but now has been gentrified to a certain degree um and you see a sequence in 1971 about yeah. what you're saying about you know a man who's giving candy with razor blades in and kind of how that plays out which is a story we heard in the first film as well right yes and yeah. and again it's a story that you know you've probably heard growing up as a kid you know always have your parents check yeah, the candy yeah. before you eat it because you don't want to bite into something and there's a razor blade mm -hmm. um but again it's also sort of looking at um police brutality and racial injustice even more so than the original one and it is in the lens coming from a person of color and a woman of color which i think is also another key factor and the storyline sort of centers around a once promising painter anthony portrayed by uh yaya abdul Meti the second uh and his art curator girlfriend brianna played by tiana paris um and sort of their relationship being tested uh, during the ordeal of him being inspired by Cabrini Green and being pushed um, to create art that is somewhat familiar to what made him um, sort of uh, a name within the art world, but also kind of not having the drive or motivation to do so until this uh, urban legend is brought up again and he becomes a part of the hive mind uh, once uh, stung and doing research on location. Um, I think my biggest problem with this movie, I, I, I like a lot of it, uh, what it's doing in terms of direction. Uh, the score, I think, is the most unnerving yeah. aspect, especially the main theme. Uh, there's a lot to appreciate and respect, uh, but when it comes down to it, what kind of bothered me a little bit is subtext being spoken as text. You know, sure. like the, the idea that everything that this movie is wanting to be about, it's being literal. And there's even a scene where you have an it's art very critic who looks a lot like Virginia Madsen um, talking about that. And even her character kind of being one flawed and saying, you know, your kind in, in one moment, but then referring to artists and sort of taking advantage of others, which it's even referencing. I mean, I, I found that to be weirdly refreshing where, you know, you look at artists exploiting um, a situation in order to gain sort of uh, notoriety, uh, notoriety and, or, yeah, or success. Fame. Yeah. And it, it at least is even calling out its main characters on sort totally. of the choices that they make. And um, even an art critic kind of turning around and initially being like totally awful to him in, in, in that moment and then using black trauma almost as like a, and just the trauma in general of going, oh, now your art is worthwhile. Like, right. I, but you also when, when you introduce a film critic or an art critic, or yeah, a, yeah. A, you always it, it's always kind of riding that line of being 
satirical but Mm -hmm. also maybe a little bit too sensitive because obviously this in this situation it works out much better than say you know bob balaban and lady in the water but that's the one critic that i always think of when like you know m night Shyamalan was trying to respond to those who you know were critical of uh his plot twists and and style of filmmaking yeah um, yeah. where this is trying to make a point about you know cultural appropriation yes and also the idea of you know what art represents and exploiting those in order to make your art and and again i like that it calls out um you know the the protagonist as much as the film is calling out totally yeah the true villains are which are police yeah absolutely um i'll jump on your point of uh you know your subtext being text and i kind of liked the bluntness of it and i'm just gonna straight up say like i i really really loved the movie through and through like i do think yeah maybe it's a little bit messy and maybe you know it's 90 minute runtime while i love you know when i saw 91 minutes i'm like you love to see it just in and out let's get this you know let's get a nice condensed slick stylish horror movie and i think we got that i think what you're talking about when it goes into some of the you know social commentary and things like that like i like that it just kind of smashes you with a hook in the head over like about it and just kind of is very or it just simply hooks you yeah and i think i i like its blunt nature throughout and i think that yeah maybe it could have explored some of those themes a bit more and maybe um dive deeper into some of the characters and i think that last act is a little messy um with its kind of conclusion but ultimately like i think this is a incredibly stylish um uh you know horror movie with that's brutal but i think is never gratuitous even though it is very violent and disturbing and some body horror moments but i think each time you know the titular candy man kills someone um i thought it was done in a very interesting and exciting way and you mentioned with the score and the cinematography and i love some of the editing in the movie and i was just completely captivated throughout the entire thing i think yaya abdul mateen the second is is fantastic in everything that i've seen him in even in something like aquaman that i don't really care about i think you're gonna say baywatch um yeah um uh, i mean even then and then like or i mean he's incredible in watchmen if you guys haven't watched that i think that deals with you know not exactly similar themes but handles certain topics in 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 an incredible way as well but but he's uh, also playing an avatar in a way to sort of a a a legacy character totally i think is also also kind of interesting interesting and i i think this is a uh a sequel that you know I just watched the first Candyman 1992 for the first time a couple of days ago. You lent me your, your copy. Thank you, Eric. Uh, no in, enjoyed it, um, but felt a little indifferent or a little removed from it. Like I just didn't – I'm like, okay, it was a, like a fun 90s slasher fic, uh, pick with like a some decent social commentary, but I also don't think that movie went deep enough into it. Um, I like, you know, like you said, it's a woman of color who directed this movie. So I feel like taking the narrative back. I mean, the first movie was written and directed by a a, a white man. And I just feel like, you know, the blunt nature of it is like, I think, perfect for a horror movie like this. And I, I liked every instance that, you know, um, the way that, you know, the Candyman is only shown through mirrors and, and, you know, I, I thought all that was stylish. There's some editing in the movie, the opening with the Candyman song, um, Sammy Davis, Sammy Juniors. Davis Jr.'s yeah. Candyman with all the, like, I just love little touches like that little stylish, stylist, stylistic flourishes, like with the reverse logos. I'm a nerd for all of that kind of stuff of just immediately 
like grabbing you, getting your getting a hook in you, which Eric just said. Um, and I was just completely taken by it. I just, it's one of my favorite movies of the year. Like I really, which is shocking because like after watching that first Candyman movie, I was like, yeah, it's, it's fine. I don't know. Now I'm, I don't know how excited I am for this next one. And I, I watching this, I think, uh, in every way it is a better film than that first one. And, um, I feel like it made me like the first movie more watching this because I know, like we said, it's not a spoiler. It's obviously going to touch on some of the things in the first one, but it made me appreciate that first one a bit more. It made me kind of enjoy that first one a bit more. But then ultimately, I just thought this was a really thrilling, stylish, entertaining horror movie with some uh, great blunt uh, social commentary. So I, I really, really loved it. And I know we're a little bit on a different pages here. I know you were a little bit softer on the movie. Yeah. I mean, again, like I, I, I totally am enthusiastic for Nita Costa, who, if you haven't seen um, little woods, uh, her feature directorial debut with Tessa Thompson. And I do uh, want to watch James. It, yeah. uh, it's this great neo-noir detective story that's kind of set in sort of, you know, a, a modern uh, milieu. Um, it's a really solid debut. And obviously she's going to be working again with Tiana Paris on the Marvels, um, in the, yeah. in the Marvels uh, movie coming up. And, and I want to talk a little bit about uh tiana paris's character because you know you mentioned you know we would the the one thing again that turned me off a little bit of this movie is you know speaking in subtext the other thing that i actually did like that or i found interesting but i don't know if it's necessarily because of the movie or but but because or maybe because of sort of the marketing around it but there was a period when the film was kind of first being sort of advertised and everybody was calling it jordan peele's uh yeah. candy man and there you know needed to be a correction and saying no this is nia DaCosta's yes. film he is a producer on the movie and co-writer but she is the director um and there are moments that i felt and maybe i'm i'm, I'm looking at things and projecting on things but i felt that Paris's character Brianna almost kind of represented that a little bit more I was at least more heightened in the aware of seeing this art curator who is basically you know sort of looking after her boyfriend or taking care of him financially and keeping him afloat yeah Um, and then everybody else within the art world doesn't respect her for her contributions but look at her in terms of you know being in the shadow of either her you know, late father's tragic, you know, backstory or her boyfriend's current um, fame or, or infamy with, you know, the tragedy and, and horror surrounding his work. Mm-hmm. And you see that a couple of times. And I found that that was interesting and almost kind of played or was a reminder of what Nia DaCosta has probably been going through um, just in, on the marketing level of this film. And, and I think that that's interesting as well. Um, just looking at that from maybe sort of a weird meta context yeah, uh, of it which all. Which might and, not even be intentional, but it no. played out that way, which is, yeah. yeah. And this is a much better, and it, I, I don't know if it's as satirical as it thinks it is. And I kind of appreciate that maybe the satire is a little bit more, subtle than say velvet buzzsaw which really kind of fell apart in terms of what it was trying to do with like art and commerce but this is more to do with art and representation and you kind of look i think the thing that i didn't really care for or the thing that didn't connect with me the way that the first movie did is that i didn't have as much sympathy 
for Anthony, with the exception of knowing who he was in, you know, sort of his backstory and his compared to Helen or compared to no compared to the Candyman himself. Sure. Because I feel that Tony Todd's Candyman, it's that classic sort of story of who's worse you know, who do you have sympathy for? Yeah. Uh, you know, the mo- like he still is a monster, but are you, are you more sympathetic towards the monster or the creator in the same way yeah. that like you have sympathy for Frankenstein's monster because he's not the one that came into existence to, you know, pillage and destroy and, and, and sure. rampage. It was the creators and the creators in this case are the police. And so that, you know, you, and, I never really had as much sympathy for Anthony this time around because he's in a place of privilege more so than, uh, you know, what the Candyman was. And then there's also this interesting reference um, that Coleman Domingo's character, you know, makes. He, he plays a local laundromat owner that's also kind of a historian and his sort of uh, sort of backstory ties into the 1970s stuff that, yeah. that we mentioned at the beginning. But he talks about the idea of that. You know, I, I have the quote here, so I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. But he says, like, you know, pain lasts forever and that, you know, um, they love what we make, but they I don't have love the same us. quote written down right here. Yeah. And those things I, I think are important for mm-hmm. the film and sort of its thesis. But yeah. I also kind of feel that, again, you know, you mentioned that they're they're blunt and they need to be spoken of. But because the film is so much about subtext being on the surface that those moments i feel would have been more impactful if it was something that was like that was the moment like it feels like every scene is the moment where it's trying to be more than just a horror film it's trying to be a socially conscious sort of adaptation of what's going on in the world today and I, i i respect and agree with everything it's saying i just like that when you're doing horror and metaphors and and that's always been the association with the two yeah that maybe there is a little bit more of a a a subtle approach to it or that it's not always being referenced and especially when you get into the third act where i love the body horror and i love that you know nita cost is probably as influenced by david cronenberg as she is the original film Mm -hmm. um but I felt that that final act That's does the go off the rails. The yeah, and I, I agree don't with mind you. the nasty stuff. I just found it very cartoonish, especially with where Coleman Domingo's character does. I agree, it and takes you out the film. I agree with you there, but I think it's almost like, and it almost ends so quickly because of its short runtime that that last act. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but it didn't take me out from. I guess I just enjoyed the style of the movie and the music and the performances and the editing and and everything that that again that last act didn't bother me so much that it was a little uh, over the top and uh, I I just I don't know and I like like I go back I, I like the bluntness and going back to your point of the first film and feeling more for you know uh, the Candyman in the first one um, I don't know I I, I kind of see what you're saying but I feel like that film didn't give me enough and it wasn't, you know, focused on him. And because it was focused on Helen throughout the whole thing and basically following her throughout that movie, I never felt connected to his story. And, you know, it's told through exposition and and kind of, you know, and that's ultimately the legend. That's how it's told, but I just never connected with it and having the focus be on Anthony in this movie, I felt more connected to his story than I did. And it still implements some of, you know, um, uh, sorry, I'm uh, Daniel Robitaille's story in this. And 
Yeah, so I, I kind of am going to push back on you there a little bit and disagree, but um, going back See, to the- See, I think the focus should have been on on Brianna instead. I think she yeah. should have been the lead because I think her story, especially when they kind of introduce um, a nightmare element that is also, again, referencing her coming of age and, and experiencing sort of a, a, a tragedy in her own life. And, you know, her brother also plays a, a part in that as well as, as a, a realtor. Um we we see a side of that story was like oh it's gonna be you know like two-sided like we're actually going to get sort of an interesting balance between you know a male and female perspective on this urban legend that is like Mm -hmm. a disease that's you know and just trauma basically rotting this person from the inside out and spreading yeah and um i think all that is 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 interesting but i felt more of a connection to brianna than i did anthony and Mm -hmm. i felt that there were times where anthony was really just more so you know the surrogate avatar for and it relies on your connection to the first his connection to that first film rather than developing him as maybe his own character but i like you know him kind of like you said it doesn't uh he takes advantage of it and they kind of touch on all that stuff and and going back to the legend stuff there's some cool animated sequences that we haven't mentioned yet that i actually really like Um, yeah by manual cinema and DaCosta and and jordan peele their perspective on that was that they didn't want to do uh flashbacks or use archival footage from the previous films or or recreate scenes right um so there was a rumor that someone was cast as Helen Lyle, who yeah, and the art critic actually yeah. does look a lot like a young Virginia yeah. Madsen, and I think that that probably is partly intentional, intentional yeah. because I think a lot of this film, in terms of it, its references to the first film, like even there's a shot of this art dealer who you know funnily is named Clive, uh, right, and and his sort of uh, intern girlfriend look at the mirror the same way that Ted Raimi and his girlfriend do at the beginning of the yep. original Candyman yep. yep. in a very similar. It's all about right like that's another thing that they talk about like a legend can deviate from you know time and time in 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 terms of like you know people telling one person to another and 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 sort of spreading the the rumor the way the the disease does but you need to have some consistency and that's kind of again like a joke that's that's played up in in the last act um but again i just felt like I like the, the 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 shadow puppets and how it mm-hmm. plays a role, and I think it's more interesting than just having archival footage or recreating scenes with younger actors or de aging actors. Um, but I just kind of felt that, like again, this movie is very well put together, very slick, well directed. I think the locations, um, in terms of you know seeing a fuller side of chicago is is fully realized but there was just something there that kind of kept me removed from getting emotionally invested yeah that's fair storyline yeah um but i think the style just carried it for me like again when you using those animated sequences as kind of you know adding to the the lore of it all and the legend of it all i thought was really really effective and i think that's ultimately what stuck with me it was was the style and and maybe there's you know it, it the commentary might be a bit blunt or surface level, but I feel like honestly with a horror movie like this, where you're trying to hit kind of a, 
you know, a, a large audience as well. Like sometimes you've got to bash them over the head with it. I don't know. Like, um, no, I, I agree with that. And especially when it comes to North American audiences. That's, yeah. You know, I'm we, not trying we, to say we, everyone's a moron, but like, no, we've talked just... about that before where like when you're, when you're interweaving kind of subtle social commentary, or metaphors it can sometimes go over people's heads so you've got to take the approach well especially what's been going on in the u.s and and this has been going on for centuries as even the movie specifies but you, sometimes you just need to get to the point and you need to do it in a way that is you know upfront. and i again everything that this movie is talking about i agree with it's just no, i know when it I comes know. Yeah. to speaking it as as text it kind of takes away from what you're you're trying to get at the root at you know like it's just it's kind of strange but there is some, again there is some interesting moments like i actually thought that the opening credit sequence was very critical of the previous film as well because if you know if you're watching the movie you'll notice that when it has the three writers names come up it doesn't say and usually when it comes to adaptations it it usually says you know based on uh you know the Clive movie Barker's by story yeah. or 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 the previous or the movie film. by yeah it doesn't which no, i thought was they do very that at the very end in they, the end credits, exactly yeah. yeah um but that's also again very telling and then like just thinking of things outside of the movie i, I thought it was just fascinating that you had both uh tiana paris and coleman domingo uh in the same movie uh, again or reuniting uh after if beale street could talk mm -hmm. um because they played uh father daughter in that um even though they don't really have too many scenes together here. No. Um, and then also again, speaking of Paris, like there's another movie that I look at that, that has the satirical edge. That's also very blunt called dear white people that also kind of deals with the idea of uh, white uh, culture reappropriating black culture and, you know, taking it for their own, but they don't, embrace it fully and it's making that point uh in in that film as well and again you know they're doing two different things but you know that that's another movie that i think more people should check out because i think dear white people the film um is really really uh, a solid satire absolutely uh, one of the one of the last ones as well to really kind of hit a nerve mm -hmm. so yeah again like i respect this movie a lot i think Fair. that um it's it's working on a level that it's it's slick it's well made um its intentions are admirable i think nia da costa is a great up-and-coming filmmaker but i think at the same time the bluntness of the filmmaking and i'll i will also say this i was never really scared no at all during but the i wasn't or, in the first one either like i were I, completely unnerved either like the, the most unnerving thing is and i already mentioned it i is, is the score i think the score does a lot of lifting to kind of make you unsettled but i was kind of hoping for some moments of tension or something truly creepy um and i never I don't really know. I, I think that. that there was some atmospheric creepiness to the whole movie i don't think i was ever flat out scared and i think when you know um, the violence happens and the kills happen. There's nothing that's necessarily super disturbing or anything, but I liked, like I said earlier that all of the violence felt, you know, stylish and graphic, but not gratuitous. And like, 
um, that's what I kind of like. Like there's a bathroom sequence where you kind of see it from a different character's perspective and it all kind of happens off screen. Um, a lot of it, you know, showcasing, you know, he can, the Candyman can only be seen through the mirrors. So you see a lot of, you know, um, very sometimes silly looking, but I still think cool and stylish looking kills. And um, there's just in and, and some of the editing I found like interesting and creepy and cool too. Like there's a shot right after that first gallery kill where they focus on, you know, Anthony. Um, now, you know, putting everything into his art. And that's another thing we never touched on too, like the tortured artist kind of like, you know, putting everything into it that your body starts decomposing because you need, uh, you need this so badly. But there's a moment where, again, with the editing and the cinematography that I really loved where, you know, it focuses on Anthony's face and, the, and his the bee sting starting to take over his body and it blurs his face in an interesting way where his eyes um, become kind of round and white and his mouth becomes blurred and his whole face takes up the frame blurred and then it kind of cuts to the gallery and there's like a really interesting there's two portraits on the wall behind him that are I think bees right and then there's faces in the bees that kind of match what his face looked like and then there's a bunch of that stuff throughout the movie that that's the kind of stuff that just kind of hooked me into the point where with the editing and the style and the cinematography and the music that there were many times where I'm looking at things in the background that they would place, whether it's a, a, a very white statue of a woman behind Tiona Paris's character or what I'm talking about with the editing of, you know, um, Anthony's face and then the stuff in the art gallery. And then that's the stuff that completely kind of enthralled me throughout. And then, um, and yeah, I was never scared per se or anything like that. I totally agree with you, Eric, but I just think it was an effective, um, to me, fun horror movie that still had some, you know, important and, but like we said, blunt social commentary that I think enhances the first movie. And I think is, is, is better than the first movie. So, yeah. I mean, I also, I also think that it's just fascinating to see that, you know, we're, we're getting a lot of these legacy horror films and how, mm -hmm. You know, when the original films were made, they sometimes did contemplate, you know, the world that they they were depicting. But at the same time, you know, they were made for the purpose of commerce, first and foremost. Totally. Um, I mean, you know, where where, <laughs> where Bernard Rose and Clive Barker were coming from, they uh, respectively, uh, Bernard Rose had made this sort of um, coming of age surrealist horror film that if you grew up watching it um the movie's called the paper house um a western video release um you were probably it, it's not necessarily a, a horror film but it was one of those movies that traumatized children because it had some imagery that was very disturbing and weird and dreamlike okay. yeah. and then clive barker after the success of hellraiser um you know, was looking to kind of really get into Hollywood and between Candyman and Nightbreed, Candyman was the more successful film. Right. Um, those two movies were him attempting to kind of break through on uh, an international uh, sort of stage because Hellraiser was this cult hit that spawned obviously tons of sequels and reboots. And, and speaking of which, I mean, I, I think I actually feel very similar to how I did with the night house. Speaking of David Bruckner, you know, rebooting Hellraiser right. to the way I felt with Candyman, where I, I think Candyman's a little bit better than the, the Nighthouse, but at the same time, I think Candyman is another movie that doesn't stick the landing. 
um completely for me yeah no i I, i'm not i don't disagree with that either like i do feel like the final act is a is a tad rushed and 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 messy um a complaint we had with shang chi as well very different movies obviously but like it is hard to stick the landing and i don't think the movie completely nails it which is why i don't think it's a perfect movie but i enjoyed the ride thoroughly throughout and um but i totally see where you're coming from there yeah again it's it's I love horror movies to death. And Mm -hmm. when I see a horror film that gets the love and attention um, that it normally wouldn't get, um, I'm all for it. Like I, I, I truly wanted to love this movie. And there was a couple scenes that I did rewatch because I just wanted to make sure. And I think it does actually, another thing that we didn't give this film credit for is the way that it handles some exposition. I know I didn't like the, you know, uh, subtext as text, but I do like the way that um, the Candyman, you know, Helen uh, Lyle story is reintroduced at the beginning of this movie as, um, you know, dinner conversation, basically, between uh, Brianna and Brianna's uh, uh, brother and, and, and his new boyfriend and how it's kind of, again, like you're hearing it secondhand. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it's, it, it's a story that you heard from a friend of a friend of mine. Yeah, you it's know, telephone, quoting, right? That, yeah, yeah. Freaky stories. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's a good way of handling exposition or reestablishing characters that maybe you haven't revisited for a while. I think that that's a great way of kind of doling out um, information. Which they the animated sequences come into play in that moment as well, right? Yes. Like, um, yeah. And it was funny because I, I mentioned my last thing is like I was watching it with Nevis and we started the movie and I paused it and I was like, should I? You didn't watch the first one. Do you want me to just tell you what happens so you have the context? And she was like, yeah, sure. So I went into essentially what happens in that scene where I'm telling the story of the first film to Nevis. So then, you know, 10 minutes into the movie that happens and I'm like, you're perpetuating I'm, the legend. Yeah, you know, I'm like, I'm sorry. I should have just let the movie speak for itself. But the um, idea that a disease spreads the same sure. way as a myth. Yeah. You know, and, and, and how it can sort of go from one person to the other and infect mm-hmm. people. And I think mm-hmm. that that's also, again, playing into the body horror stuff. And I, again, I love any movie that attempts to do the Cronenberg. I like the body horror in this, too. The, I thought it was it nasty. Is, it's and the, I, the, I, the, the, the practical uh, effects. It is the nastiest part some of the, the best. movie. Yeah. And, and I actually also do really like that at one point he does go to the doctor oh yeah because the whole movie i'm like bro you gotta go see a doctor man well most movies don't do that because usually when someone gets infected by something whether it be like again you look at the candy man in this context it could almost be the equivalent of a vampire or zombie yeah but usually when a character is an infect was an is infected in a horror film they never seek medical attention and always hide it from the others and endanger people this situation he goes to the doctors and that's also, I don't know what she prescribed mo- him, but <laughs> I don't know why she let him let leave. Like, yeah. I feel like that would be something where you need to continue. You'd be like, you need to, like, you need to stay here. And we, we need, need to, to call, you know, Wimis yeah. or, or, or <laughs> yeah. who or, or, or what you know, happened? Which B was this? <laughs> like, like I would be so worried if that was like, you know, contagious and, and, and that's, what have you. I know like for her to be like, Oh, good thing you came in now and then just let him walk I need to see another band. scene where she gives him the prescription or is like, like, like what did you prescribe? You Penicillin is not going to be enough, bro. <laughs> like it's not. Um, and I will say I watched this with Nevis and she didn't see the first one and I feel like she was fine. Like the movie does a good enough job. Uh, I think it'll be in 
enhanced if you do go back and watch that 1992 version because like i'm glad i watched it um earlier this week but i feel like nevis not seeing it didn't hinder her enjoyment of it so i just want to put that out there as well what were her thoughts on the depiction of uh the art world though i I, i'd be curious i think she just i mean uh context for people nevis is an editor who works um at the art gallery of ontario and has worked in the art scene for uh, a long time um yeah, I think she I think that was one reason why she wanted to watch this version. I think that's um something she wanted to see depicted. And I mean, there's all the in stuff, like if you're in that world, like the gallery openings and how, you know, the gallery director and stuff acted and you kind of laugh at some of that stuff if you know those types of people. Um, there's a good line that that uh, Anthony has saved up that I did laugh. And at. she laughed a lot at like the intern, um, uh, like he's the one line of him being like, well, you proofread the press release or whatever because she's an editor so like stupid in stuff like that but i think uh that was a a reason why she wanted to kind of see that and i think the use of art in the movie um to uh perpetuate the legend and other things like that i think is really interesting so uh, i think she enjoyed it for that but then she just enjoyed it as a um you know she's someone who doesn't love like gory gratuitous kind of horror movies she likes kind of more the psychological horror and stuff like that and um i'm like which hey, there is that component yes in this as well like and, i do feel like this is is probably in the same uh sort of breath as something that ari aster has done yeah i mean i don't know if she could handle um you know um hereditary um just or, or some of the gore in midsummer but um definitely not but i know she's intrigued by midsummer well, what about the what it, about but. what about the original Candyman? do you think Nevis there's some i think okay. she would have been a fine because it's 1992 um violence it's still very gory and disturbing and, and there's stuff one like that, scene in like, particular with a doctor yeah um, and I, I think i couldn't forget when i first saw that movie so i think i mean even in this there's some very violent and gross stuff like she had to turn away with any of the body horror stuff and 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 but she was she's glad she watched it and she enjoyed the hell out of it so i just want to say for people who maybe are listening to this who haven't seen the original i feel like you should go back and watch that first one but i don't think your uh it will hinder your enjoyment of this because the movie does a pretty good job kind of letting you know what happened in that first one you don't of being a standalone film. yeah yeah so anyways we'll wrap it there i'm gonna i think i loved it uh i think it's i just put it in my uh best films of the year and i think it's like in my top five right now um that's how much i enjoyed the movie um so i'm gonna give it a four and a half i really really loved it i'm gonna give it a a three out of five fair that's totally fair man um i like when we're not exactly on the same page you know but i think we brought up valid points on both on both ends again i really want to like the movie and i still respect the film and 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 i i would be told i i want to see but more, not loved it yeah yeah and and i want to see more of nia da costa as a filmmaker and obviously we're going to get that with you know the marvels movie uh coming up but and that makes me I very excited because she, she's think... interested in horror if she wants to continue to pursue it i, I hope so I, or do something original like i, I would think... love to see like her original take on something that's that's hers and but it's not based on previous ip or something like that. it's a conversation we had during shang chi and just in marvel stuff in general not to make everything about the mcu but it seems like every great filmmaker gets <laughs> or good filmmaker lately gets scooped up by them but like it made me excited for for someone who didn't care that much about captain marvel 
and you know the the filmmakers on that first movie i don't think brought necessarily their touch to that movie like her direction in this i think is so great that it made me very excited to see what she will do in the marvels because like i loved the cinematography and editing and just direction of this movie that um i think she can elevate you know that character and 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 you know having teaming up with Tayona Paris again like was she cast in this and then did uh, did Nita Costa help get her cast in WandaVision is that because she wanted to work That's with her a on good the Marvel because I, I wonder if it went sure. that way or or maybe it was Tayona Paris suggesting Nita Costa afterwards it's i'm intrigued by that stuff too but yeah i mean that's all kind of more doesn't matter either baseball way, yeah. kind of stuff because i feel like little woods was a film that played at tribeca a few years ago neon picked it up and then through that um i think uh jordan peele um talked to her about doing this and and uh da costa you know wrote or co-wrote and, and has a writing credit on on candy man as well and, and directed the film and this was definitely before WandaVision went into production and casting. So that would be interesting to sort of talk about. Cause I wonder or, if or she cast her just kind of like, you know, some of the stuff in Loki. Anyways, we're getting too in the weeds. We'll talk about that on the main show, which is called the untitled movie podcast. We just had our hundredth episode. You guys can go check that out. Um, we'll continue this conversation leading into the Marvels and more, but um, you know what? I-, I loved it. Eric liked it. I think Candyman's definitely worth seeing um, if it's safe to do so, or if you feel safe to do so um, it's theatrical only right now. I think universal also has that 45 day window right now, but I'm not entirely sure. Maybe it'll be. Yeah. And we'll remind people when it is available on iTunes, um, uh, on premium VOD that it's available Mm -hmm. then. So like, if you want to check it out and maybe watch it closer to Halloween, because I mean, we're getting close to, uh, the month of the beast, do a double feature. It'll be great. Hopefully it's on maybe VOD by Halloween. And that would be uh, a lot of fun. Um, if you like this, uh, please subscribe on YouTube, please subscribe podcast services, untitled movie reviews, uh, like hit that thumbs up, the notification bell, all the YouTube stuff. We're still getting used to this. It's a new thing uh it's somewhere here um but thank you all so much it's a big week for us um uh the 100th episode like i mentioned untitled movie podcast on podcast services everywhere as well as youtube um just thank you all for the support um we have tons of other reviews up right now we just posted our shang chi spoiler free review so you guys can go check that out as well as many many more tiff is coming up we'll have a ton of coverage of tiff over the next couple weeks uh it's going to be a blast so uh untitled movie conversations we're kind of tweaking it's still going to be an interview show but it's also going to be like one-off kind of reactions or or mini convos that aren't podcast length and aren't a review so we just posted our spider-man um no way home it's talking about mcu stuff it always comes back uh reactions so we missed that on the 100th episode we posted a youtube video with our reaction um, and it's but, just us we should specify where yeah, it's not an interview before yeah. we've had um a guest but that doesn't mean that we can't have a guest for the one-offs no either. yeah yeah so so conversations is going to be interviews and also one-off convos between eric and i and guests about a specific topic that's probably very condensed 20 20 minutes or lower so uh, you can check out our spider-man no way home reactions on podcast services on conversations or on youtube as well uh we also changed our social handles sorry there's a lot of kind of stuff at the end of the show i'm trying to make everything kind of cohesive because we're not you know we are mostly podcasts but there's going to be little other things like that the podcasts are our bread and butter like the but reviews now 
are a podcast, but they're also YouTube. So I'm changing the handles to untitled underscore movies on most places. Sometimes it's untitled underscore movie if I, I couldn't get it on like Instagram and things like that. But on Twitter and Letterboxd, it's untitled underscore movies. Um, and Letterbox is the place to go. So our HQ on Letterboxd, if you're a movie fan, you should be on Letterboxd. All of our stuff is there where we put our ratings, our reviews, the YouTube videos will all be linked there, all of our social channels. So if I'm going to plug something, go over to Letterboxd, untitled underscore movies, everything is over there. Um, so it's our one-stop shop for everything untitled. So I think that's probably the easiest place to send everyone. Uh, I'm done rambling. Thank you all for listening. My name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and here on YouTube and podcast services. And you can follow me on all of those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash scene and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. The Candyman can say it five times. Do it. Candyman. No. Candyman. 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 <laughs>